electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm John Fort. You're listening to CNBC's Tech Check. Our show is live weekdays at 11 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. Good Wednesday morning. Welcome to Tech Check. I'm Carl Quintanilla with Deirdre Bosa and John Fort. Today, not a Microsoft landing. Uh, dismal guidance tanking the market here. We're going to discuss Microsoft's impact on macro. More results tonight. We've got actionable tech bets after the bell. Why investors are closely watching Tesla, IBM, and ServiceNow. Later on, the, quote, buy of the century. The CEO of Silicon Valley Bank tells us why Wall Street is so bullish on that stock. D. Well, those Microsoft earnings, as you mentioned, Carl, taking a toll on the broader indices this morning with the Nasdaq on pace for its worst day so far this year. Now nearly 25 percent removed from its most recent 52-week high with that three-week win streak liking looking likely to end. See names like Datadog, Snowflake, Asana, MongoDB, a bunch of other in enterprise tech caught up in that post-Microsoft wake. Alphabet was the biggest drag on the Nasdaq yesterday, down 2% on the heels of that DOJ lawsuit over its ad business, which we will certainly be getting into later. Now, another drop this morning, though, is big tech gets hit early. The other earnings piece of the puzzle, of course, is Tesla. That is today after the bell against the backdrop of Elon Musk's court appearances right here in San Francisco this week. That stock down with the rest of the market, but up more than 30% already since the start of the year. The street is expecting record results tonight, John. Well, D, let's start with Microsoft. Shares are lower this morning, but off the lows, despite an EPS beat, the reason is really uh, the guide. It comes down to not only the revenue forecast, but the indications about what's going to happen for Azure looking forward. And CNBC technology correspondent Steve Kovac joins me now on set to talk about that. I mean, the indications are that Azure is going to slow more than the street expected, and there are all kinds of read-throughs to, to Amazon and others. But I think there's a big question about what happens to demand in the second half of the calendar year. A, a lot less certainty uh, from Satya Nadella, from Amy Hood, exactly. about what's going to happen with spending. And, and kind of what stuck out to me, uh, John, was something Amy Hood did not say that she's been saying more full-throatedly on previous earnings calls, which is our big clients, our big customers, they're still spending like crazy on IT and cloud and all these services. That was less apparent on this previous call. And so the idea here is before we saw the small and medium businesses kind of taking a hit, cutting back on spend. And now we don't know where the big companies are. They're not bragging about it anymore, that's for sure. And then again, that guide, that three to four more points off of the Azure growth in this current quarter, uh, that's what's scaring a lot of people. And by the way, they did beat Azure estimates just by just a tiny little hair. That was enough to send the stock up after hours until we got to the guidance on the call about an hour later, hour and a half later. Right, and a lot of talk about December. Microsoft talked about December was really what was soft, and they expected that softness to continue, which is what led to that guide. If de December hadn't been soft, boy, that quarter probably would have looked really good. I, I guess th the question is, when we look at the second half of the year and we compare it to what started to happen in mid-2022 when people were saying uh, enterprise software seems immune right. Right, from the macro environment because of the cloud and recurring revenue, et cetera, et cetera, 
what Microsoft said about December is really similar to what Macy's and Lululemon yeah. said about how December played out for the consumer. So are we now in an environment where the macro is affecting enterprise software as much as it is the consumer? It is. And you want to talk about the regular consumer. We, it's not just Lululemon ABC pants that people aren't buying. It's computers, Windows OEM revenue. That's the money Microsoft collects every time Dell sells a computer way down, 39% down. That, that just shows a collapse in PC demand right there. So that's what we're seeing on the consumer side. Growth is still there on the enterprise side, but man, is it slowing and slowing dramatically. A lot of that is foreign exchange, but a lot of that is the reduced spend. And to your point, their, their fiscal year is going to end at the end of June this year. And the second half of the year or their beginning of their fiscal year, if things get worse, are they, like we were talking about earlier, are those comps going to get worse or are they going to lap themselves and things remain the same? And then the comps start looking better and then this becomes a more attractive stock. Mm. Yeah, and you guys, if growth is decelerating at Microsoft, we highlighted this at the beginning of the show, what does that mean for some of the other names in enterprise software? Microsoft has sort of been this resilient play, best of breed over the last year. It didn't sell off as much as the higher growth, more speculative names in this space. Um, so I wonder, John, if you think that some of the other names like MongoDB, Confluent, um, Datadog, Snowflake, have they already taken their medicine or does this bode really poorly for them? Well, I think in the near term, these names are going to get hit, but they have enormous opportunity for share gain in an environment where customers are looking to save money. Look, MongoDB and some of these others are going to make the argument, we can make you more efficient. You, if you want to spend less on database, well, Oracle's probably not going to cut right. you a deal, but look how much you can mm -hmm. save with us. So you're going to see some of these players making that argument, and at least uh, what we've seen in their partnerships with some of these hyperscaler cloud providers like Microsoft, like Amazon, is that they have been able to grow in their niches a lot of times faster than the competing product from their partners. Right. So what, what's bad for Microsoft growth-wise doesn't have to be as bad for a best-of-breed player. The, the question has to be, I think, for an investor, tell me if you agree, Steve, are these things priced in the right place for somewhat of a slowdown, even if it's not as much as the bigger players? Right. Well, I will tell you what Satya Nadella said about this on the call was, look, even if they're going to lose money capturing these customers, like, you know, creating better solutions, do more with less. I know I keep saying that, but that's because Nadella keeps saying it. As they keep pushing that forward, as their sales teams keeps pushing that forward, you, you just got to ask yourself, how long does that last? How long? Can, can, but what he does say is, we're going to capture these customers now. We're going to help them through this tough period now. We're heading for two years of you know, worsening macroeconomic conditions. If we can help them for that now, when we're on the other side of this, that investment's going to pay off because we've captured those customers. I'm paraphrasing him, of mm -hmm. course. But that is basically the gist of what he told investors on the call last night. I'm glad you brought up, Steve, uh, that, uh, that, that comment from a couple of weeks ago about we a weakening macro in the tough two years, because he did seem to clarify it a little bit, yeah. saying he was talking about global, not U.S. And even within a weaker macro, he's still talking about uh, additionally fierce IT intensity, meaning a share of global GDP that is going to get spent on tech. Yeah, that's exactly it. And that's been his point for the last year or so during this, this whole, you know, when the concerns about the macro economy started last spring and into uh, early summer last year, that, that's been his whole mantra, that people are going to continue to spend on IT. And that's true. We're seeing it. And again, like I said earlier, that's where the growth is at Microsoft. The consumer side is not growing at all. It's, it's, it's shrinking and in a very significant way. So 
that's, that's what he believes is if we can just plow through this right now, even through slower growth, come out on the other side, and we're going to be much stronger than our competitors. That's, that's the theory right there. And he did clarify his comments on the, on the overall economy that he told us two weeks ago, but it's, it's not good. <laughs> it's still not good. Yeah, just, just how broadly is it not good is the question. Exactly. We'll find out. Yeah, thanks. Uh, our next guest remains bullish. Let's bring in Goldman Sachs analyst Cash Rangan. He joins with a buy rating on the stock, price target of $315 a share. Cash, uh, is this based on an expectation that things get better in the calendar second half, even though that seems unclear? Absolutely, John. Thank you for having me. Uh, so one thing is net new ACV. This is something that is not widely discussed by software companies, but a measure of new business, net new ACV. Uh, comps are insanely tough, not only for Microsoft Commercial Cloud, but for the entire software industry in this December quarter that just got reported for Microsoft. Why? Because December quarter 2021 was insanely up against December quarter 2020, just hit by the pandemic. So you're seeing this exaggerated cyclicality because of uh, the pandemic. And now we're paying the price that the comps look insanely tough. The good news is that the comps become insanely easy in the second half of this year. So even if business conditions don't dramatically improve, just the comps becoming easier will be a good tailwind. And well, second, you say the you know, comps become easier, but what if the economy gets worse, right? I mean, that, that's my question with that. I mean, yeah, the comps get easier if things uh, don't get a lot worse, but if they do, then the, the comps remain just as tough in a difficult environment. Correct. Uh, well, that's uh, the good news is that we've modeled implicitly in the decelerating Azure estimates the underlying potential worsening of the economic issues. That's why we've got Azure going from 26% growth through this fiscal year to 22%. So we're assuming things are getting worse. The net new business of Azure, we're expecting implicitly in our estimates to be not up 50% as they were last fiscal year, to be down 10, 15%. We're seeing Massive reversal in the net new business dynamics built into the estimates already based on what you said, the worsening economic conditions. Cash, is, <laughs> is Microsoft at risk of a Salesforce Slack scenario? And by that, I mean in this environment, are investors going to focus more not just on top line growth, but on profitability, which for a hyperscaler means loading your cloud uh, at a good margin? which could mean acquiring things, but acquiring them at a price that's going to allow you to monetize those well down the line. We can talk about whether uh, Activision Blizzard, uh, it, whether they're paying too much for that or not, but is Microsoft at risk for that Salesforce Slack scenario? Uh, uh, due to the firm's involvement in that merger, I cannot unfortunately talk about uh, the transaction that you just mentioned, but I don't believe that uh, they have to do a mega transaction in order to put works of, workloads in the cloud because what's happening at Microsoft is they're sitting on a massive enterprise install base that is not yet moved for the cloud. Talk to the big financial institutions, including us or any other firm, the, the percentage of cloud adoption is very tiny. So I think there's still a lot of runway ahead and you throw in artificial intelligence workloads. It's, if you look at Microsoft's 55, 60 billion dollar cloud business, enterprise IT is 1.4 trillion, still plenty of room to go, I think. I don't think you really need to make a Slack-like acquisition. That's my belief. Okay, yeah, not saying necessarily that big, but just wondering if acquisitions are needed for margin boosting 
uh, as the cycle continues. Cash? I'll tell you where the margin boost can come from, the expense reductions, the workforce reductions, the extension of depreciation cycles over six years, okay. and also slowing down CapEx. If Azure is going to slow down, CapEx will slow down, and that's good because less depreciation, more gross margin upside. So we'll, plenty of things. We'll see how that plays out. Cash Rangan yes. from yeah. Goldman Sachs. Thank you. Thank you yeah, me. we're going to be talking the, the Microsoft read-through throughout the hour. Also ahead, how to play Tesla, IBM, and ServiceNow, which I'll report this afternoon. We'll have some actionable tech bets after the bell. Plus, we'll look at the DOJ suit against Google and any potential impact that could have on the ad market. Tech Check is just getting started. Canva presents stories to keep you up at night. It was an ordinary work day until... The Singapore presentation is at... <laughs> 3 a.m. The office was shocked. <laughs> That's when we sleep. Maya made it less scary with Canva. <laughs> I'll just record my presentation so Singapore can watch it anytime. Record and present anytime with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Trying to bounce here off some session lows. Microsoft's guidance last night, of course, uh, did brace the tape for this risk-off session. Mike Santoli has a gut check on what exactly the impact is from that print, Mike. Yeah, Carl, certainly the downside uh, in Microsoft's numbers and the stock have some coattails today. Clearly, the, the conclusion that if Microsoft can't sidestep some of the weak corporate-driven macro uh, pressures, then maybe the rest of, uh, of tech won't be able to either. However, I would argue a fairly contained response so far. But here's how it's looked over two years of Microsoft relative to the more pure play cloud computing ETF, where you have a lot of smaller, narrower players, which really have already priced in, I think, a much worse environment. Although over the last six months, Microsoft and this ETF have traded almost exactly in sync to showing seemingly that the outlook for cloud was much more about uh, the, uh, the price mover on the margin of Microsoft. Now, whether software itself is giving some kind of a macro signal or responding to broader cyclical concerns, it's not as clear to me. If you take a look at how a consumer discretionary equal weighted uh, basis and, and uh, industrials have behaved over the last six months, uh, massive uh, you know, margin of, of uh, outperformance over software. To me, it tells you that software, tech, expensive digital platforms are still in their own category in this market. They're still working down that valuation premium, uh, and they don't really have a lot of leverage to, to whatever reacceleration in the broader economy we might be expecting. So to me, it doesn't change the story too much. Uh, and, and Microsoft, you know, you also could make the argument that once everybody realized things were slowing and Microsoft uh, is finally acknowledging it, that essentially quantifies things. Probably everybody else was feeling it before Microsoft was. Yeah, that, that takes me back to a comment. I think it was last week, uh, maybe out of B of A, arguing that if Microsoft's getting humbled and taking their medicine and Netflix can do the print they made, that maybe there is some nascent leadership in technology. Is that too much? 
No, I don't think it's too much. And it's just leadership in the form of, you know, who has the defensible business, the more uh, stable one and the one that can basically power through on its own dynamics as opposed to, you know, just kind of feasting off of uh, off the boom times. Uh, Mike, we know you'll watch it. That's just the software side. We'll talk some hardware yep. maybe later on. Mike Santoli, let's continue that conversation with our next guest, who is remaining cautious on names like Microsoft, despite some of the sell-side optimism. In fact, he advises do the opposite of the sell-side when it comes to big tech. Joining us this morning here at Post 9, Trivariate Research CEO, Adam Parker. It's great hey. to see you, Adam. Thanks for having Welcome me. Welcome back. Some of the... Um, People coming to Microsoft's defense saying this is, A, not a surprise. If anything, it's sharpening models. Would you go along with that? Yeah. I mean, look, I think people should know the economy's eroding slowly from a really high base. Uh, this is a company that has a number of different product areas, and it's hard to be in business and not be in their karitsu or whatever, however you want to phrase it. You're going to use a lot of their stuff. Um, whether they have the pricing power on all the core products to continue to uh, you know, drive growth, I think, you know, is interesting. I, I think my view is, look, 51 buys, five holds, one sell. It's not like people are negative. It's not like there's really been like a throw in the towel. We're throwing out the baby with the bathwater on these mega cap techs. So there's still some downside on the multiples, I think, particularly as, you know, things decelerate. So it's not a bad situation, but you can't tell me sentiment's low. No, no, it's a great know. point. It's yeah. a great point. For example, JPM cuts their target uh, $2. Right. Uh, uh, no, $10. A city cuts at $2. Right. Actually, B of A raises their free cash flow number. So you think there's more wood to chop on the sell side? I, I think people want to, yeah. I just don't think you've thrown in the towel on, on these names and, and can say the decks are clear where the risk reward skewed to the positive. You can't tell me confidently the next 10% uh, is going to be up versus down. Uh, and so I'd rather, you know, try to find opportunities to buy things that have a lot more upside in a six or 12 month view. Um, in, in the tech space. Which means? You know, we're warming to the idea, but not recommending yet a lot of mid-cap software. These were the craziest multiple stocks 18 months ago. The EV to gross profits were at the 2000 level, basically March 2000 level, but they've come in a ton. Uh, in my meetings, I do a lot of investors will say to me, oh, I can't own any businesses that lose money. And you're like, all right, pump the brakes a little bit because lots of businesses <laughs> lose money now that turn out to be great stocks. I mean, you could have said you didn't like Salesforce.com at $2 billion, $3 billion market cap because it was too expensive. Right. So I, I think with sentiment there and you wanting to do the opposite of others, um, in the next 6 to 12 months, you're going to want to start you know, finding companies that are growing the gross profits 20 30 40% and where the multiples have come in a lot. It's probably too early because of the Fed, but I think we're getting some point in 2023, you're going to have a pretty big upside scenario for mid-cap software. That may be the most constructive thing I've heard you say in yeah. a couple of quarters. Well, you know, I think there's opportunities, but I think within tech, it was just the most crowded, most loved, and people hadn't really, they wanted to believe the Fed was getting dovish. And, I, I, you know, our call coming into the market this year was, hey, we'll probably say up, up, up early and down later just because everyone else was saying the opposite. And, you know, maybe earnings revisions were more behind us than in front of us. But, um, you know, the market's worked a little bit until today. And I, I think there's a bit of a, you know, taking profits uh, scenario. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah. I mean, I'm glad you mentioned profitless tech, because if you looked at, say, the Goldman's, yeah. uh, pro I mean, Carvana, uh, up for the year it was up 40, Stitch Fix, Affirm. I mean, is that healthy, or how much can be built on top of that stuff? I, I think some of the businesses uh, that you're talking about there may not have any value down the road. I think it's more some of the software companies that have, you know, were just insane valuations 18 months ago, but can probably still grow their gross profits between 20 and 40% this year, even in a declining economy. So if I look six, 12 months from now and I look backward, 
and their EV to gross profit, you know, is, is, it could be very attractive now versus the long-term average. Look, if you have an eroding economy from a high base, the only real way to get paid and beat the market is going to be stuff that can grow through it or super cheap cyclicals where balance sheet repair will be pretty good. So if you're looking at, at that from the tech-only lens, probably you're a few months away from wanting to find some of these software companies that can grow their gross profits in this economy. Right, right. Yeah. Um, and I, and I, like, I like it, too, because I'm very bullish on energy, and I feel like it's an interesting portfolio construction. The correlation between software and energy is really low, so I won't really, you know, I'm not making that Texas hedge where I'll be wrong on sure, both. Sure, sure. Yeah. Uh, well, even Adela talked about energy last night yeah. as, a, as a fading headwind. Uh, that's a good gut check, Adam. Thank you. Yeah, nice uh, to Adam be here. Parker. D? Well, after the break, the DOJ suing Google over what they call its ad market monopoly. We will discuss the impact to Alphabet stock, if any, and bring you Alphabet's response. Don't go away. We're back in two. Canva presents unexplained appearances. It was an ordinary workday until... That presentation appeared out of thin air. Also, it's eerily on brand. Wait, did that agenda just write itself? Words appear, making this unexplainable case... Unexplainable? It's Canva's AI tools. I can generate slides and words in seconds. Really? The real mystery is why I'm only learning this now. Canva.com. Designed for work. Alphabet tumbling 3.5% this morning amid a very rough tape. That's after the Department of Justice filed its second antitrust lawsuit against the company in just over two years. The DOJ was joined by eight other states, putting a spotlight on Google's advertising business. Our own Julia Borston joins us now. Julia, I don't know. I mean, typically these regulatory pressures have not moved the stock. The question today is, is it that or is it what's happening with the macro picture? And is Microsoft giving cover for investors to sell? But let's get hypothetical. What would a slice up of that ad business look at? Yeah, look, there are many things that have to happen before the DOJ could be successful. But what happens if the DOJ does succeed in breaking up Google? The DOJ called for the spinoff of Google's ad network business. That's the part of Google's business that sells ads and other platforms and generates about 12% of its total revenue. Now, while Google says that the DOJ's approach would slow innovation and raise advertising fees, the DOJ says that advertisers could actually see price hikes slow and companies could end up feeling less pressure to put up paywalls and hike subscription prices because the ad side of the business, if Google was broken up, could become far more fair and profitable for them. Now, Google spinning off its division could help other ad tech companies. Evercore flagging a potential benefit to the trade desk. Remember, we interviewed that CEO back at CES, as well as Pubmatic and Magnite. The good news for the other tech giants, a crackdown on Google could provide an opportunity for Meta, which now faces less antitrust scrutiny given the rise of TikTok, and also for Amazon and Apple to accelerate their advertising growth. Evercore noting that Apple has the scale and resources to potentially compete aggressively in the ad space. Now, the bad news for those same big tech players, along with Microsoft, is that this latest lawsuit shows just how willing the DOJ is to challenge their dominance. Deirdre? And, and has been for years with little to show for it. Um, Julie, when I take a look at the ad tech names, we were just showing them to our audience, Trade Desk, Pubmatic, some others. Um, they're not seeing really any benefit in terms of that immediate stock price reaction. So maybe some skepticism that they're going to benefit anytime soon. Perhaps skepticism that the DOJ is going to be able to enact um, real penalties or action on the back of this. What do you think the age 
agencies want to see here, Julia, because Google, of course, makes the argument that this is going to make the industry less efficient and could ultimately raise costs. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely Google's argument. If we look at the fact that these stocks are down today, I do think that reflects the fact that it will be a long road for the DOJ to get um, some of the things it's calling for to happen. But I would point out that Google's already been facing a lot of antitrust scrutiny, particularly out of Europe. The EU has been very aggressive in this area. I think the agencies like having a lot of options. Um, one thing I always hear when it comes to the streaming wars, whenever there's a new player in there, that's fantastic that they have more options that creates uh, more competition in terms of their, uh, A, their options to, to reach consumers, but also competition between those platforms. So that was something I heard a lot when Netflix uh, announced its ad-supported platform and, um, and Disney Plus announced its ad-supported platform. I think the proliferation of these ad plat, um, ad tech companies such as the Trade Desk are another example of that. Options are good mm. if you're a buyer, but efficiency Julia is also incredibly important. And it's so interesting, John, just because traditionally the criticism of Google has been that it totally dominates search. This is a shift in a different type of criticism of Google that this other type of ad dom dominance is unfair as well. Well, it all kind of links together. It, it seems to me possible that um, the government is trying to address through regulation and enforcement something that might really take new law, something similar to what the Clayton Act um, and, you know, the follow-on in 1950 did for newspaper ownership. Like, if you really can't own the exchange and the network and other pieces in the digital ad ecosystem, doesn't that have to be codified somewhere? Because you, even if you succeed in breaking up Google, it's going to be uh, appealed like Microsoft back in the late 90s, and then somebody else might put together something similar while all that's going on. Yeah, a lot of commentary um, yesterday afternoon and today also about how the most effective way to end up having that kind of impact of breaking up Google would be through legislation, not through this type of DOJ action, John. So I think part of that is just because of the, the amount of time it takes to get this through and then also the fact that it will be, will be likely challenged. Yeah. Congress not exactly getting things done quickly, especially these days. Julia, thank you. Up next, actionable tech bets. After the bell, we're going to break down what to expect from Tesla, ServiceNow, and IBM as they report tonight. Tech Check is back in two. Welcome back to Tech Check. Big fall for big tech and the NASDAQ, but a bit of a rebound, too, trying to play out as Microsoft earnings weigh down tech stocks. Index, as I mentioned, off the lows of the session, briefly on pace for its worst day of the year, but it's still January. One of its biggest laggards, uh, the weak IPO market and a big decline in index revenue uh, is hitting NASDAQ, that stock. CEO Dina Friedman warning on Squawk earlier that another volatile year for the markets could be coming. And then, hey, on the other side, take a look at Shopify. That stock up nearly 8%, bucking today's downward trend after announcing a price hike for the first time in 12 years. As a customer, I felt that. Deutsche Bank just upgraded that stock Monday. Time now for a news update. Bertha Coombs has that. Uh, we are all shoppers, John. Here's what's happening at this hour. For the first time, Amazon workers have gone on strike in Britain. Warehouse employees in central England have walked off the job after months of talks over pay hikes. Workers say recent pay increases are not keeping up with inflation. 
Norfolk Southern reported mixed quarterly results and raised its dividend, but the stock is down about 6%. Investors are focusing on rising expenses and weak annual revenue guidance. Railroad says a weakening economy will limit shipping volumes. And natural disasters around the world caused $132 billion in insured losses in 2022, making it the fifth most costly year ever for insurers. That, according to a new report, Hurricane Ian accounted for more than $50 billion of the losses. On a positive note, the death toll from natural catastrophes remained below average for a 12th year in a row. They just don't seem to stop, Carl. Uh, a business uh, that you know well, Bertha. Thank you, Bertha Coombs, this morning. What does the Microsoft uh, warning mean for the market and the likes of Tesla, IBM, and ServiceNow, which, of course, all report tonight? We're going to break out three stocks investors are watching closely today for some actionable tech bets after the bell. Let's begin with Tesla. Price cuts, margins, Twitter, of course, on top of mind for shareholders. Morgan Stanley today makes it a top pick. CNBC's Phil LeBeau is watching that. Phil? And Carl, Adam Jonas has been pounding the table for some time about Tesla and the advantages that he believes it holds relative to other EV companies, as well as other automakers, the legacy automakers. Three things to watch for today when Tesla reports its Q4 results. First of all, gross auto margins. How much of a hit did they take because of price cuts, particularly in China in the fourth quarter? What does Elon Musk say during the conference call? We really haven't heard much from him about his outlook, specific questions regarding Tesla's outlook. And then there's the annual delivery guidance. Remember, their guidance has been for a couple of years that they will grow annual deliveries by approximately 50%. Doesn't mean that every single year is a growth of 50%. It means that they expect to grow over time on an annual basis 50%. If you take a look at their annual deliveries, they did not hit 50% last year. I think they were up about 40, 41%. Do they change that? Do they bring it down a little bit? Remember, delivery wait times, they dropped in the fourth quarter. All of that said, do not be surprised if you see this company report record profit for the fourth quarter. They still have amazing pricing power, and the average transaction price is close to a record high for Tesla. You combine that with the fact that their cost level is still well below their competitors. I think we probably uh, we could see, Carl, I wouldn't be surprised if we do see some type of a beat on the top and the bottom line, but it's really about the guidance. That's what's going to drive the stock after hours. And you mentioned Adam Jonas, who yesterday, Phil, said they expect the company to say, look, the price cuts are, are a sign of strength, yep. but we think they are going to be a response to slowing incremental demand. And even though he makes it a top pick, he has been talking about net slower adoption for the space overall, right? Correct. He does believe that that's happening. He thinks we're entering a period where things are going to shake out. Remember, for the last five years, it has essentially been any EV company or a legacy automaker saying, we're going to start building electric cars. Very few people were saying, well, how many are you going to be able to deliver? Will there be a market there? There was always more demand than supply. There's still more demand than supply. But Adam Jonas and others believe we're entering a period where things start to shake out. And as Tesla cuts its prices, that's really going to put pressure on the Rivians, the Fiskers, the Lucids of the world, mm -hmm. because they're already losing money. How yeah. do they get the profitability if they've got to deal with uh, lower prices? Yeah, right. making this and, quarter. And what tough choices do they make? Uh, Phil, thank you very much. You bet. Our Phil Lebeau, D. Next up is IBM. Um, after the bell, they're reporting, of course, the hardware mm -hmm. 
Company trading down about 1% this morning, hardware and software company, I should say. The street expects revenue to slip about 3% from the year-ago quarter, but analysts have been cautiously optimistic. Moffat Nathanson recently upgrading IBM to market perform, noting that despite historical underperformance, it believes it can grow consistent revenues. Morgan Stanley tempers their outlook, downgrading to equal weight, despite the name being the best among their IT coverage over the past year. They think that comps could get more difficult in the year ahead. For now, though, it has outperformed its peers like HP, Seagate, and Western Digital over the past 12 months. John, we've talked about how it's outperformed the very buzzy names of the last few years, like even a snowflake by very wide margin. I guess the question is, what are you owning IBM for? Low single-digit revenue growth? Are you owning it for innovation? Are you owning it for services? It's big sort of consulting workforce it has in this kind of environment. Stability and dividends don't hurt, especially in this environment. I'll tell you what I'll be looking for, and you're right, Dee. It's more services and software now than hardware, though you know that mainframe cycle will continue to watch. I think IBM's still got a massive labor force, a lot of it in consulting and services. And the question is, are they able to get more efficient with that labor force in order to have improving margins? And is that government business of IBM's a significant part of what they do and some of those um, kind of standard, strong industrial businesses that they that they do work with, are those providing more stability relative to yeah. some more volatile software names? Uh, I mean, it's kind of hard to call Microsoft more volatile, but when you, when you look <laughs> at the percentage of government biz- business versus corporate, I mean, you might see a different kind of stability in IBM, but it's the margins, I think, yeah. and that profitability that is going to have a lot of people's eye. And I think it's that keyword, stability. That's maybe what IBM offers. Um, certainly, it's been an outperformer over the last year, but we got to remember that um, over the past five years and longer time frame, it has been a bit of a value trap, down 10% versus the S&P 42% over the past five years. Um, so we'll see if that changes in this macro environment All right. in the longer term. Yeah. Let's close out our actionable tech bets, ATB, get it, with ServiceNow. Take a look at what the street is expecting after the bell. Revenue of $1.94 billion in Q4, EPS just over $2. The stock, like many others this morning, reacting to Microsoft's latest results. It's down about 1.5%. We're going to watch what Bill McDermott has to say about IT budgets, enterprise demand, see what the pipeline looks like, and Bill's going to be on Squawk on the Street tomorrow, D. You know, I can't wait to hear what he has to say because the tone that he struck at Davos just feels so remarkably different than what we hear from some others like Satya Nadella, who says this could be a, you know, two-year period of pain for the tech sector. McDermott said he was asked, is there a recession in IT spending? He said, not a chance. Layoffs, they're hiring. He said that the cycle looks nothing like 2008 or the dot-com bubble burst. So what's he seeing in that enterprise spend part that is so different than, you know, a huge company and a CEO leading Microsoft? Well, I mean, (laughs) optimism uh, and and Bill McDermott, don't expect to see Bill McDermott singing a woe is me tune. He's going to find a silver lining everywhere. We're going to have to go line by line in this report to figure out not just what's happening for ServiceNow, but what's happening, more intelligence on what's happening for the whole software industry. Um, You know, expectations uh, are are out there. We see what's happening with uh, Microsoft so far today. 
He's optimistic, but he's a straight shooter. Remember last year when he was the guy that first came out and said, look it, we're going to face some weakness. That's why I find those comments. And what he's going to say tomorrow is so fascinating. So we'll see. Up next on Tech Check, yesterday, Verizon rallying after posting results. This morning, AT&T doing the same ahead of T-Mobile next week. The sector bright spot today in a down market. We'll break down those numbers when Tech Check returns in just a moment. AT&T defying the tape today, up this morning after reporting results. Wireless subgrowth definitely in focus. Our Julia Borston has more on the numbers. Morning, Julia. Good morning again to you, Carl. That's right. AT&T shares um, are up about 5% this morning. Earnings of 61 cents per share were 4 cents better than consensus on revenue that fell a hair short of what analysts anticipated. But better than expected subscriber growth was a key factor here. The company is saying they do expect to continue growing mobility subscribers. Now, they also forecast that wireless service revenue growth would be 4% or higher for the full year. AT&T CEO John Stanky joined us on CNBC in the last hour. He said that they've made great progress in terms of cost efficiencies. He also noted that they've been investing in areas where they are underpenetrated and underperforming. Take a listen. Customers are using more of the product and service, and they're willing to pay more for the product and service because they're getting better performance and better use. And that spectrum and the infrastructure that you just described facilitates that walk up and that occurring. Stanky also talked about how he sees the company's investment in 5G paying off, particularly in the enterprise space. He talked about the opportunity in autos with autonomous vehicles, as well as in the medical space and also in manufacturing, talking about the demand they're seeing there. Carl? It's interesting, Julia, to talk about the company and not have to talk about uh, what new shows HBO or is going to what streaming look is going to look like or any of the cultural clashes that got widely reported in The New York Times a few weeks ago. I mean, yeah, I think it's really interesting. This is a, a dramatically streamlined AT&T. I mean, I have to mention they even took a big write down when it came to the landline business. And so, you know, all of these different factors, whether it's the entertainment or even some more of the legacy businesses from the original AT&T about landlines are just so much less relevant to the business right now. They're so focused on mobility, on the consumer case, and also on the enterprise case, and really trying to figure out how to compete in a world where you've seen the massive growth of T-Mobile. They're also going up against Verizon and trying to avoid price wars um, in an area where, at least in terms of the consumer, the service is really seen as increasingly commoditized. Um, So very different type of company, a very different type of earnings call, um, an interview with the CEO than we used to have back when AT&T owned Time Warner, uh, which, you know, of course, became Warner Media, et cetera. <laughs> yes. Yeah, it's kind of hard to keep it all straight. It hasn't even been that long. Uh, Julia, thanks. Julia. Still to come this hour, ad spending on Twitter fell 70% in December, at least according to one research firm. We're going to have more on how Elon Musk is looking to win back advertisers. Plus, the deal of the century. That is how Wells Fargo described the opportunity to buy shares of SVB Financial, Silicon Valley Bank at these levels. That stock up 25% this year. The CEO is going to join us on the other side of this break. Don't go away.
It's the deal of the century. At least that is how Wells Fargo describes the opportunity to buy shares of SBV Financial right now. Shares popping nearly 20 percent last week on the heels of earnings. It is not the first time, though, that we're hearing language like this when it comes to the bank. Last April, J.P. Morgan writing it was, quote, the most attractive entry point in a decade. Since then, however, the stock has lost more than 40 percent of its value. SVB CEO Greg Becker joins us now on set in San Francisco. Uh, Good morning. Thank you for coming into the studio. We were talking about we were sick of the Zooms. Um, In person, yeah. Exactly. So what's different this time around? If anything, the macro backdrop seems worse. And you kind of foreshadowed what we heard from the team at Microsoft last night. You think things are actually, you've seen a deceleration, an uptick in cash burn from your customers over the last few months. How does that bode for the upcoming quarters? Yeah, I mean, I, I think about 23 is a transitional year. I mean, I'm, I'm happy 22 is over. I mean, the second half of 22 was, was very, very tough because it was really hard to predict exactly what was going to be happening. And as we saw towards the end of 22, we kind of felt that that bottoming out. We kind of felt that we were kind of at that, that lower point. And lower point does not mean, very important, that we're going to automatically see a big rise or a big improvement, right? Well, we, what we are expecting to see in 23 first half, actually in venture capital, actually a little bit more of a decline, mm-hmm. even than what we saw in the fourth quarter. But the second half was going to kind of create that, that modest improvement and really set the stage for a better, better 24. So, so we're, we're optimistic because our crystal ball is a little clearer than it was in okay. the third quarter last year. How is it clearer? Um, is, do you think that you have a better idea of what the Fed is going to or not going to do? And I know that um, you've seen an uptick in debt financing, right, mm-hmm. versus yeah, equity absolutely. financing. What happens to a lot of your customers, startups, if interest rates move higher or stay at high levels? Yeah, maybe to talk about, like, why that, that crystal ball is a little uh, clearer than it yeah. was, right? I, I think about it in three ways. Um, for that clarity, you need kind of three things, right? So the first thing is you need public markets, right, to kind of stabilize. So while we're not there yet, we certainly think in the first half there's going to still be more volatility. We're getting closer to that. When you look at multiples, right, when you look at software multiples and so forth, they're kind of getting actually a slightly below where the historical average was. That's a good thing. Second thing, when you think about interest rates, we don't need interest rates to decline. We just need them actually to kind of slow down or pause. And we think we're getting close to that. And the third thing is you need expectations, right, to match up with performance. And so we haven't seen that yet. That's the one that's a little more more cloudy. But the first two, we think, in the first half, maybe this summer, are going to come into balance. And when that happens, that's the stability that we expect is going to kind of kind of create that that floor. Mm-hmm. Now, you do have an incredible view into this. Approximately half of all VC investment dollars throughout the economy eventually flow back into deposits at yep. SVB. Um, what makes you confident on that valuation piece? We have this debate a lot on Tech Check and throughout the network. What is the right level? Do we go back to post-pandemic levels or further back when we were in a time of higher interest rates? A lot of the companies and your customers of the last decade have yep. been raised on growth, 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 and not exactly profitability and free money. Well, uh, profitability is the name of the game. People yeah. are talking about it pretty much you know, consistently every interaction we have. But you think about it, what's, what drives valuations, right? So it's the growth rate of the business, mm-hmm. right? It's the margins that you have, the sustainability of the, the business model themselves. And all three of those are actually in, in better shape than you've seen in other cycles. So we think it's going to go back to pre-pandemic. So whether it's mm-hmm. 17, 18, maybe 19, but certainly not 20 and, and 21. We don't, I mean, I don't see that coming back for a long time, maybe, maybe ever. Okay. But um, 
it doesn't need to. Mm -hmm. It doesn't need to, to create a, a really kind of a stable environment. How do I reconcile your optimism, you know, maybe things getting better at the end of the year, with what we hear, the kind of commentary from Satya Nadella at Microsoft, who sees so many different parts of this economy, as business touches so many different parts, and he says things like, we're in for two more years of pain. What do your customers tell you? Are they optimistic as well, or are they sort of bearing down for a longer downturn? Yeah, so I'd say let's put this in relative terms. So go back and look at how much venture capital flowed into the venture capital market in 2021. $350 billion. Last year was, I'm going to round numbers, roughly $250 billion. And what we think for 23 is going to be around $130 billion. So that decline is a massive decline. And so then you're going to see that stability start to happen. So I would say in, in the private markets, it's going to actually be a more dramatic decline than you're going to see in public markets. And then you're, still, you're finding that floor. Mm -hmm. And once you hit the floor, then you can start to see some modest improvement. Yeah. And then that's number one. Number two, Venture capitalists aren't investing for outcomes in six months, 12 months, right? For sure. For early stage, they're thinking about what's, that, what's this company going to look like in five years, six years, seven years? And even late stage, they're thinking about two to three years. So, so the investment, that optimism actually, I think, is not about this year. It's right. about in the future. That's a big difference between public and private markets. And I know a lot of venture capitalists here see a lot of opportunity in this environment because of that reset. Greg, thanks so Absolutely. much for being with us. Hope to Great. talk to you again soon. Thanks, Deidre. John. As we have to break, check out shares of Block, downgraded to market perform at Oppenheimer, down about three and a half percent so far in today's trade. You can read more about that call on cnbc.com slash pro. And in the meantime, follow and subscribe to the Tech Check podcast. Listen anytime, anywhere, wherever you download them. Tech Check is back in a moment. One more thing this morning, a new chapter added to Musk's Twitter saga when it comes to advertising. Ad spend at Twitter dropping 71% in the month of December. That's according to some new data from Standard Media Index. That's as Twitter looks to bring advertisers back to the platform after companies like General Mills, Audi, Chipotle did pause back in November. Uh, the decline could be a blow to the company, which brings in nearly 90% of revenue from advertising. It could also mean more trouble for Tesla, which of course has seen shares decline 40% since Musk's Twitter takeover, mm -hmm. John. We're going to watch that in the context of would it mean potentially more selling or more distraction uh, for Musk himself? More selling, more distraction, or does Twitter go bankrupt? And then what are the implications of that for the ad ecosystem should it happen? Mm -hmm. I mean, we don't know if these uh, ad sales numbers are quite correct, but we do know that uh, there's a lot of money that this is costing. Yeah. It's hard to extrapolate, as you say, John, uh, Twitter's revenue decline to others in the space. But it's a good question. What does it mean if it goes away entirely? Tesla, of course, going to be the more meaningful one after the bell today. And, Carl, we should note, too, that the Nasdaq has sort of come off its session lows now down just over a percent. Yeah, uh, definitely making an effort here. Dow down 200. Microsoft $10 off of the intraday low. So we'll keep an eye on that ahead of, as we said earlier, some key earnings reports as we get closer and closer to core PCE later in the week. You've been listening to CNBC's Tech Check. You can always catch us live weekdays at 11 a.m. Eastern. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. 
That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.